0: It's been a long, long journey, and I'm tired. 16-year-old Molly Bish disappeared while at her lifeguarding job at a pond in Warren back in June of 2000. What makes this even harder was that the crime scene at the time was virtually destroyed. They thought Molly had drowned. So by the time the experts got in and said, wait a minute, stop. You know, so much had been compromised. This would be wonderful for all of us if we could finally take this to the end and just some peace. That's what I want. What we're looking for is any kind of anomaly. So if you can dig a hole, take the sand out, put the soil back in, compact it, it's different than the soil around it. What we're doing right now is we're testing some people. Uh, We've gotten some DNA samples from people. Uh, We're matching that against some of the DNA we've gathered in the case, some of the evidence. Yes, I can't speak to it in detail, but, you know, we have cause for optimism based on some of the stuff we've tested, and we're looking for that bit of physical evidence. We're looking for that tip. We're looking for that information. We're looking for a little divine intervention, you know, point us in the right direction. We need a break. Everybody wants to to put this to rest for the family and, uh, you know, get some closure and, uh, you know, take somebody off the street. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed Amy Mahalovic, a podcast that takes a deep dive into cases you may not have heard of and others that you may have. Needless to say, but this week's episode is extremely tragic. The case involves the disappearance of a 16-year-old girl from her summer job and the search for a killer that remains at large today. This is a case where the family's pain is palpable, and the search for a killer weighs on everyone involved. The pain of losing a child is one that I can never imagine, and this is another example of a mother doing everything in her power to keep this case in the spotlight. This episode is one where you take the evidence, and maybe you can help uncover who killed Molly Bish. On June 27, 2000, 16-year-old lifeguard Molly Bish disappeared from her lifeguard post at Cummings Pond in Warren, Mass. On the day before Molly's disappearance, her mother, Maggie Bish, had noticed a mustached Caucasian male in a white sedan in the parking lot of the pond. Though he appeared suspicious, her mother just brushed it off and proceeded to leave Molly at work. Now, Molly had been in this position for only about a week, and it was later that morning that Maggie's phone rang, and it was the police telling her that there had been no lifeguard on duty. Now, her mother's intuition kicked in, and she quickly rushed back to Molly's post, only to discover her sandals and her lunch. Warren is a safe community, and according to the city's website, it is a town they refer to as a rural town of 5,000 people in western Worcester County. Warren is one of six existing towns that were first settled in 1660 and known as the Quay Bog Plantation. Incorporated as Western in 1741, the town was actually renamed in honor of Revolutionary War hero General Joseph Warren in 1834. The day started like any other. At 9.50 a.m., Molly and her mom stopped at the local convenience store to grab some water bottles. Afterwards, they actually drove to the police station to pick up the required two-way radio, as there were no telephones or communications at Cummings Pond. The radio was actually the only way that the lifeguards could contact police or anyone outside of the area. Molly and her mother arrived at the pond at 10 a.m., and minutes later, the first swimmers of the day arrived. When people began to arrive for their swim lessons, they noticed Molly's things at her station and her first aid kit open, but no Molly. Given she was 16 years old, it was assumed she walked off with friends, and one of the mothers took over lifeguarding duties for the lessons. She later informed Molly's boss of her absence. It was at 11.45 a.m. that Molly's boss, via the two-way radio, reported to police that Molly had gone missing. The Warren Police Department didn't take the report seriously, assuming she had ditched work to hang out with her friends. When 1 p.m. came and went, and Molly still hadn't returned to her post, the police notified her parents. And this is when Molly's mother returned to the spot. In the summer of 2000, 16-year-old Molly Bish had began working as a lifeguard at Cummings Pond, And it was on June 26th, the day before Molly's disappearance, that her mother, Maggie, had witnessed a mustached man in the car parked in the lot uh, where Maggie had been a lifeguard. Now, he may have seemed suspicious to her at the time, but it wasn't enough for her to, you know, not drop Molly off. And then it was on June 27th when Maggie drove Molly to Cummings Pond and dropped her off near a lifeguard station that she reportedly saw... No sign of the stranger from the previous day. However, another witness reported that he saw a man matching the stranger's description in the pond's parking lot just minutes before Molly arrived. A local worker also reported that a similar car parked at a cemetery connected to the pond was seen by this individual. Now, Maggie Bish was the last known person to see Molly before her disappearance, and it was several hours later when police contacted her parents informing them that she was missing you know when she hurried back to uh, the lifeguard post and realized that she was uh, nowhere to be found that's when police searched the pond and the surrounding woods however molly could not be located there was no sign of a struggle at the scene police and her family were convinced that she was abducted Maggie called Molly's sister, Heather, to try and explain what was going on. They both agreed that something was up, so they headed to the police station to try to find some answers. Unfortunately, they were told by the authorities that there was really nothing that they had to be concerned about. According to the authorities, Molly was probably upset about her friend being hurt in an accident, and she had probably gone to blow off some steam. So they started looking for Molly on their own. They checked to see if anyone had visited her friend at the hospital and found Molly hadn't been amongst her visitors. Heather also went to her boyfriend's house, but he hadn't heard from her all day. Like the police, he wasn't too concerned. They apparently weren't too worried, but Molly's boyfriend and Heather drove to the pond to meet with Maggie. They wondered why Molly hadn't taken her shoes with her if she'd gone off on her own. And while there, Maggie argued with police and said her daughter wouldn't have left her post, as she had been worried about the kids starting swim lessons. After talking more with the family, the officers began to think that they were onto something and thus called in the state police to help. As they hadn't much experience with working with missing persons cases, they figured the extra hands would be of good use. So upon being brought in, the state police wondered if Molly could have drowned in the pond. And again, this was something that her family immediately disagreed with, as she was a lifeguard and a strong swimmer. A dive team and boats were still brought in, though, and searched the pond. But after several hours, they didn't find anything. At 6 a.m. on June 28th, law enforcement deployed all units, including a helicopter with infrared imaging and a mounted unit, as well as townspeople initiated their own search parties and businesses printed and posted missing persons on flyers and put them in their storefronts. Police began to look at a path that led from the beach at Cummings Pond to a nearby cemetery, as they thought if someone had abducted Molly, they could have exited the area through this path and not have been seen. Since Molly's first aid kit was open, investigators speculated that someone could have faked an injury, i.e. Ted Bundy, and she may have been abducted while trying to help them. This triggered Maggie's memory, and she realized that she might have seen her daughter's abductor the day before. And this is when the mustached man was brought up to the authorities. And again, like I had mentioned before, the day had started off, you know, like any other. But she did notice this individual when she had dropped Maggie off the day before. And it appeared to her that he was glaring at her, but. Maggie did stay with Molly while she organized her station and only left when the man eventually left the parking lot. So there was enough mother's intuition there that day before the abduction just to basically say, I'm here, I've got your back. And when asked for a description of the man, Maggie described him as approximately 50 years old with salt and pepper hair. He had dark eyes, a mustache, and had been smoking a cigarette. Maggie worked with an artist and made a composite sketch of the unknown man. And when shown the image, John Jr., Maggie's father, said that he didn't recognize him as a regular of Cummins Pond. After hearing about the encounter, police set up a roadblock and asked townspeople about the vehicle. This is when they learned that the car had been seen at the cemetery near Cummins Pond a few days prior as well as the district's attorney's office, had ordered a search of 125 white vehicles from the area. But given they couldn't determine the type of vehicle that Maggie had seen, it really didn't result in any new leads. Thousands of tips were called in from across the country regarding the man, but those didn't result in anything either. When police returned to Cummings Pond, they found the scene had been contaminated by those who had first responded. There were too many fingerprints and footprints, and they had found a ton of used cigarettes. As such, they were unable to find any concrete evidence. Since they had no physical evidence to work on, police began to think up theories about what could have happened to Molly. One was that she had voluntarily left, as there were reported sightings from across the country, but her family firmly believed that she would never have left without telling them. Another was that she knew her attacker. While her boss and her boyfriend were considered persons of interest at the time, The former had an alibi, and the latter, while uncooperative with the investigation, did pass a polygraph test. Molly's disappearance led to the largest and most expensive search in Massachusetts history. Almost three years later, on June 9, 2003, a hunter passing through the woods in the Whiskey Hill area of Palmer, Massachusetts, located about five miles from the Bish family home, spotted a blue bathing suit matching the description of the suit that was last worn by Molly. When police received this information, they conducted an extensive search of the area, and they actually recovered her body. Investigators focused on local residents, while the Bishes were forming a theory of their own. Quote, I don't believe any of these people work around here who are involved in this. This is the work of a professional. He knew what he was doing, said John Bish, Amy's father. And it wasn't just a theory. Maggie Bish believed exactly 24 hours before Molly disappeared is when she saw the mustached man hanging out at Cummings Pond. Police have released two composite sketches. Police discovered that Molly's mom wasn't the only person that had seen the white car in the area the day that Molly had disappeared, because there were other sightings of the car as well. The first came at the base of Cummings Pond Road, and then later at the end of a trail from the beach to the cemetery. And this is where John Bish believes the scene itself provides hints as to what happened next, starting with that open first aid kit. Quote, I think this was just someone who said, I need a Band-Aid. I've cut myself. Do you have something? then after molly turned to open the kit john thinks the kidnapper forced her up the cemetery trail since her shoes were left behind he says molly never would have voluntarily gone up that hill barefoot and district attorney john conte pursued the white car theory seriously and his team did a cursory search of 125 cars but his investigators believed the abductor had to live nearby they began interrogating local sex offenders At least one of those questioned was a convicted child rapist, and he bared a striking resemblance to the sketch. And this man also admitted to meeting Molly at a party. Like a lot of missing person sketches, Molly's has become one of the most recognized drawings in Massachusetts history. But police have never been able to identify the white car man. They received over 4,000 leads, and they do store them in a database but they admit they don't have much to make a case. And then three years went by, and the clue. A piece of Molly's clothing was discovered on a wooded hillside five miles from the pond where she vanished. It was the first major clue in the case. But the big break comes with a caveat, as the piece of clothing was discovered by an ex-cop named Tim McGowan, who had an obsession with an entirely different crime, the abduction of another young girl from the area. And that was in August 1993, when Holly Peranian, age 10, went walking along a county road near grandmother's house in Sturbridge, Massachusetts, and basically vanished. All searchers found was one small shoe. And in the following weeks, Holly's parents, Richard and Tina and grandmother Maureen, went through the same ordeal the Bish family would experience seven years later. Ten weeks after her disappearance, local hunters discovered Holly's remains in the woods nearby. And Holly's mother said the worst part of it was wondering who it was who did this to her daughter. At the time, investigators weren't able to figure out who killed Holly Peranian. But several years later, McGowan couldn't get Holly's unsolved murder out of his mind. Quote, I thought of the innocence of this child and her life taken away by a predator. It made me realize there's real evil out there. There's evil out there. And I wanted to do everything I could to help her. So McGuin started his own investigation. But he says his superiors were not sympathetic. While writing a true crime account of Holly's murder, McGowan became increasingly fascinated with its similarities with the Molly Bish case. They were both young, blonde girls who vanished in a rural area, just a few miles apart. McGowan now went to the Bish family, asking for permission to investigate Molly's case as well. Two weeks later, police made a startling announcement. They discovered pieces of a weather-beaten bathing suit, much like the one Molly Bish was wearing. McGowan discovered the suit, and he says a local hunter, Ricky Boudreaux, led him to the site. Boudreaux says he had actually seen the blue suit months earlier, but he had forgotten about it until he crossed paths with McGowan. The bathing suit was sent to the laboratory, and another intensive ground search began. And District Attorney Conte said they wanted to solve this case more than anything and bring back Molly to the Bish family. John and Maggie Bush heard the news that they had been dreading, the discovery of human bones, an upper arm bone from a person 14 to 20 years old. Over the next few days, More grisly discoveries were made, including another rib and vertebrae, which ended up totaling 20 bones. The remains of Molly Bish were identified on June 9, 2003, after human bones and teeth were just found miles away from the pond where she disappeared. According to District Attorney Conte, quote, We have identified Molly's remains. We just came back from notifying the Bishes. DNA testing done on bones from a left arm and right shin found in the wooded search area and dental records compared to a tooth found in that same area led to the identification of the missing 16-year-old. We have uncovered other remains and they are now in the hands of our state police detectives. All the remains were recovered within a circumference of 1,000 feet, according to District Attorney Conte. The belief now is they have pinpointed the murder scene. Molly's body was buried in a shallow grave, making her bones more easily discoverable. Conte said the discovery of the bones prompted investigators to look again at some of the suspects interviewed after Bish's disappearance. The district attorney said 11 people had failed a lie detector test. They put leads into their computer base with the help of the state police. We are going to search every single lead that we have, according to Conte. The body was found in Palmer, which again was five miles from Cummings Pond. But that also leads them to believe that the killer was local. Unfortunately, based on the state of the evidence found, it was really difficult to pinpoint a cause of death. All the bones were found near where a hunter discovered the bathing suit, and it was definitely the one that Molly was wearing the day that she disappeared. Molly's parents reacted to the discovery of the body, saying they felt strongly that the remains were Molly's, and they issued a statement following the developments. Quote, at this time, the Bish family would like to thank everyone for their prayers and continued support throughout three years. Molly has come home, unquote, a Bish family friend said. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Again, it was back in 2000 uh, when Molly had first gone missing. There haven't really been many suspects in the case. So nobody has been formally charged or arrested in connection with the crime, but several suspects have been named. Police focused heavily on the description of the mustached man in the sedan that Molly's mom saw the day before her daughter disappeared because two workers at the pond had told police that they had seen a man similar to that description. I mentioned before, once was in the parking lot at Cummings Pond before Molly arrived for her last shift and again in the parking lot of the cemetery connected to the pond by a small path. And if you remember, investigators were looking at that path as a potential pathway to where a kidnapper could have led Molly. In 2005, a Connecticut resident charged with attempted kidnapping was investigated briefly for connections to the case, but he was not charged. In 2009, police were led to a new suspect, Rodney Stanger. Stanger was a Florida resident who was convicted of murdering his girlfriend, Crystal Morrison. At the time of Molly's disappearance, Stanger actually lived in Southbridge, Massachusetts, just a few miles from Warren. He moved to Florida shortly after Molly's disappearance. Morrison's sister told police that Stanger had access to a white car similar to the one spotted at the pond. He was also known to fish at the pond and hunt in the woods where Molly's body was found. Stanger's facial features matched the composite of the mustached man in the sedan that was provided by Molly's mom, but they just were never really able to pinpoint anything Connecting this guy. On August 2nd, 2012, the state police assigned to the Worcester County District Attorney's Office actually searched the home of Rodney Stanger and they did not expand upon the search as far as what they had recovered. But Stanger is serving 25 years in prison for the stabbing death of Crystal Morrison. So the police haven't 100% ruled him out, but they just haven't been able to find anything that 100% connects this guy to the case. When Morrison's sister, Bonnie Kernan, went to Summerfield in late June to recover her belongings, she found items, some which she found disturbing, and she actually turned them over to the state police. In Stanger's wallet, there was a firearms identification card that had been renewed just two months before Bish's disappearance, as well as a set of safety deposit keys, as well as hair accessories for a young girl, not a grown woman. Kiernan said she also discovered a home video showing a girl stripping, then getting her neck snapped. That is pretty crazy. The wallet had photos of Stanger that Kiernan said bore an uncanny resemblance to the man seen by Bish's mom at the pond that day. But again that man could have been anybody. Before moving to Florida with Morris and Stanger lived in Warren and Southbridge, he had been identified as a person of interest in the Bish case. While police investigated Stanger for the Bish disappearance, he was also investigated for the 1993 murder of Holly Peranian, which I had mentioned before. And actually, Stanger was not charged in either case. Forensic evidence led to an arrest in the Peranian investigation, and I will get to that next week. In November 2011, Gerald Battistoni, a.k.a. Confidential Informant Number 62 for the Eastern Hampton County Narcotics Task Force was named a suspect in the Mali Bish Disappearance and Murder. When he was announced as a suspect, he was serving prison time for repeatedly raping a teenage girl in the early 1990s. Upon hearing the news that he was a suspect in the Bish case, Battistoni attempted suicide in prison. He had been in the area where Bish's body was found, and he also matched the composite sketch. DNA evidence was sent to Texas for testing, but no substantial news has come back, naming Gerald Battistoni as the murderer. He died, actually, in Jamaica Plain in November 2014, which, again, left people and police at a dead end. So I'm going to go into some speculation here. And again, this is a rumor more than anything. And I'm not going to go into much detail because these claims cannot be 100% verified. So take these with a grain of salt. Some rumors around town had alluded to the possibility that Molly may have abused drugs and possibly wandered off to get high and then overdosed. Or got lost and died in the elements. I guess heroin and methamphetamines were abundant in the area. But I'm just going to say this. She was 16, and you had to have been pretty deep in drugs to have been, one, doing those by yourself and then getting so messed up that you're actually doing them while you're at work. Again, this is a 16-year-old girl who had a summer job as a lifeguard. Her job was saving lives. The chances of her getting involved in this situation are not good, so I'm going to end that discussion right there. The case did remain quiet for a few years until there was a possible connection to a possibly buried vehicle. Molly's sister, Heather, had hired a private investigator who searched the woods in Whiskey Hill, and he actually uncovered another piece of evidence, which was a plaid pair of boxer shorts hidden beneath a log. The boxers were similar to the ones that Molly was last seen wearing on the day of her disappearance. It was a pretty common style back in 2000 uh, to wear boxer shorts as sort of, uh, I guess, as a replacement for regular shorts. In 2016, investigators announced that 24 pieces of DNA evidence were going to be retested in hopes that some of the once degraded evidence could be usable. In 2007, a sex offender named Robert Burno was named after he tried to abduct and assault a jogger in Brimfield a few miles from Warren. He also matches the suspect's description. The man who found her swimsuit was a hunter and an ex-policeman, and I mentioned his name was Tim McGowan. And he was highlighted on 48 hours, I believe. And he's the one that found a piece of her suit, and he did hold on to it for a little while before he actually called authorities, which is kind of odd, but he is uh, 100% denied any involvement in this case. So the missing girl from whom Molly had written a letter to was Holly P. I mention this now because. It was kind of common practice back in the, I guess, in the 80s, 90s when people had gone missing for students to write a letter to that missing person and kind of just say, you know, hope you come home. And it's just kind of crazy that that girl was Holly Peranian, who was found dead near where her body was found. So the investigators at the Worcester District Attorney Office... We'll be looking at several items, and they really haven't had much to go on. So at this present moment, we're kind of stuck with the Molly was abducted. The search was large and extensive. The suspects ranged from sex offenders to transients, some of which are alive, most of which are dead now. And it's unfortunate because the longer these cases go, I mean, it's been 19 years for Molly Bish. It's been almost 30 years for Amy Mahalovic, And these families, the pain and the suffering and the constant lack of knowing what happened to their child is just gut-wrenching. And if there is any out there that has any information on any of these cases, it is absolutely upon you to let the authorities know, if you saw anything on June 27, 2000, in Cummings Pond, you need to contact the authorities. If you saw anything in the plaza in 1999 in Bay Village, where Amy Maholovic was abducted. It is upon you to contact the authorities. You may be the person that holds the key to solving these tragedies that have left families shattered along the way. So, again, these shows are designed to inform and hopefully advocate for resolution Again, I hope that the Bish family, the Mahalovic family, and all the other families that have been covered throughout the these episodes understand that there is hope in finding answers. And these cases with new science and new technology are being solved every day. So my advice is to hang in there as much as that is the most ridiculous thing to say, but The hope is that technology will one day be able to catch up with what they have, and that goes for both cases. I believe the expression is it takes a village to raise a child, and I think the same thing can be applied to protecting a child or catching a killer. Sometimes it takes just one, but sometimes it takes many pieces— And those pieces need to be put together by the proper authorities in order to get the answers that we are all searching for. Everybody wants resolution in all these cases. Anything cold, anything old, anything like Amy's, anything like Molly's, anything like Shakira's, anything like David Widlack's, all these cases need closure. And with the proper following through with investigators, Recognizing things when they're out of place, telling authorities when you think you may have seen something, all of that plays into the final resolution. So if there's anything that I can leave you with today, that would be just remember who it is that you're around. Keep aware of the people that you surround yourself with. And if anything is out of place, make note of it. You may never know when or where that might occur, or where you might need that information. Thank you again so much for listening. If you have not yet subscribed, please do. You can follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. As a reminder, this is an independently produced podcast, so if you'd like to keep the lights on and the recorders running, you can support the show by clicking the Donate button on the right side of com, or you can always make a donation via the Venmo app with my username at BillHuffman3. Any amount is appreciated, as it does help keep this show going. If you do enjoy this podcast, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This will help support the show and help keep cases like Amy's in the spotlight. Anyone out there with information regarding this week's case, the death of 16-year-old Molly Ann Bish, you can contact the FBI at one 800 call fbi the Massachusetts State Police is also available at 1-800-808-9677 if you have any information regarding this case. A $100,000 reward is being offered for any information leading to an arrest. If you have any information regarding the death of Amy Renee Maholovic, you can contact the Bay Village Police Department at 440-871-1234. The FBI is offering a reward of up to $25,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the individual or individuals responsible for the death of Amy Renee Mahalovic. So anyone out there with information regarding any of these cases, the FBI is there at 1-800-CALL-FBI. So again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, please be safe.